Welcome to the Wellsteading Podcast. This is episode 421. Today is July 25th, 2023. I'm your host, John Pugliano. I'm also the founder and money manager at investablewealth.com. Well, a lot of things to talk about. In this episode, I'm going to get right to it. The big items in economic news and what's driving the market right now are what's going on with the Federal Reserve, raising interest rates. They've got an FOMC meeting this week, and we're also in the midst of earnings season. We're going to talk about all that and more. And so as far as FOMC meeting, it's almost a foregone conclusion that the Fed's going to raise 25 basis points. I don't hear any prognosticators predicting it, but wouldn't it be interesting if they went up 50 or 75? The important thing, I believe, to think through all this is that for this entire year, people have been calling for a Fed pivot. They've been saying that the Fed is about to cut. The big buzzword last month was about the pause. But regardless of all the talk about the Fed cutting sometime soon, it hasn't happened. Fed fund rates are now going to be at about 5.5%. This is the largest that they've been in close to 20 years. What I think will be more important than the FOMC meeting's uh, topic this week will be in about a month when the Federal Reserve has their annual meeting at Jackson Hole, Wyoming. The Fed always uses that meeting as a way to jawbone the market, and it'll be interesting to see if they hold a hawkish tone and talk about keeping rates higher for longer. I think with the strength of the U.S. consumer, and especially with the tightness of the labor market, which is continuing to put an increase on wages, and you see this going on now with transportation strikes and other things that are going on, wages keep going up. The Federal Reserve, the main tool that they use to control inflation, is to get people fired so that they can squelch demand. So far, we haven't seen that yet, and that's why we haven't had a recession. Maybe we won't. Maybe there'll be a soft landing. But at the same time, inflation is running much higher than the central bankers would like. We're arguably at about 5% or so inflation, maybe a little bit less than that. And because of that stubbornly high inflation and because of all the stimulus money that's still in the system, go look at the M2 money supply, it's still way above where it should be from a trend perspective. Because of all that, I think the Federal Reserve has to remain hawkish, which I think is still a concern for the short-term stability of the stock market, but we don't know what they're going to do. More about that in a little bit. And I want to digress here before we start talking about earnings season and talk about investor sentiment and investor expectations. I was looking over my trade journal this week. And by the way, if you are even remotely serious about building your wealth and investing and trading in the stock market or whatever you want to trade in, you should be keeping some type of a trade journal or a trade diary. I've talked about that in previous episodes. You can go back and search it. But that is about one of the most single ways that I know of that you can become a better investor. By writing down what you bought, why you bought it, and then going back and reviewing it and reiterating over and over and over again. Now, as far as my trade journal, I noticed a note that I put in there. I believe it was the first or second week in January of 2022. It was definitely January 2022. I don't remember exactly what the date was, but pretty early on in the year. And here's what I wrote. Market consensus is that every 1% raise in Fed funds rate will have a negative impact on high valuation stocks, which could result in a loss of 
10 to 20%. And that loss would most likely come as a result of multiple compression versus a deterioration of the economy. Now, what's interesting about that statement, as I go back and I review it, it's interesting that that's exactly the opposite of what has happened here in 2023. If you look at all the way through 2022, when there was all the negativity about the inverted yield curve and all the horrible things that were going to happen in the economy, corporate profits were still moving up, but investor sentiment was moving down. So you had multiple contraction. And that's ultimately why in October of 2022, we saw such a large pullback in the stock market. It wasn't that corporations were earning less or that the economy had slowed down. It was that investors were only willing to pay a multiple of about 16 times earnings. Okay, keep that in mind, 16 times earnings. If you fast forward to where we are now in middle of 2023, the exact opposite has happened all this year. Corporate earnings have been coming down, in some cases quite significantly, and at the same time, the valuations of stocks, that multiple, it's expanding, it's not contracting. So as much as the Federal Reserve tried to throw a wet blanket on the stock market and on the economy, ultimately when it comes to asset prices, they haven't been successful. According to the regular conventional wisdom that we heard in 2022, a more than 5% increase in the Fed funds rate, which is what we've seen over the last 18 months or so, should have easily resulted in at least a 50% pullback in these very high-flying valuation stocks. And sure, we've seen that in some cases, but not across the board. I think mostly what we've seen this year is fear of missing out. It's been the FOMO. People sat out so much last year, they felt they missed any kind of a run-up. And then in March, when we had some banks fail and it didn't end up being a major crisis, a lot of people took that as an all-clear signal and they've jumped back into the market with a vengeance and they've pushed those valuations up considerably. We're pretty much sitting well over 20 times earnings on the S&P 500. It all comes down to where you're measuring earnings, so that's the dilemma. But in my opinion, given the overall state of the economy, and given how high interest rates are and how likely I think the Federal Reserve is to keep them high, I think those multiples of 20 times are excessive. And I'm digressing here. Let's jump back into earnings for a second. Right now, second quarter earnings are coming out, and you know how the earnings game goes. The companies and the analysts that cover them always sandbag ahead of earnings. So right now, earnings season is expected to have about a 7% decrease over year-ago earnings. What'll happen is, if earnings come in at only 6.5% decrease, then the headlines will talk about how good the overall economy is because companies beat expectations. But remember, those expectations were artificially lower to begin with. Here's an example from today's headlines. There's an article about 3M, they're reporting their income, and 3M's stock was up quite a bit today because they beat earnings expectations. Okay, but step back. Let's think about this. Let's translate it. Profits for 3M on a year-over-year basis were down 12.5%. Now, Wall Street was forecasting their profit being down as much as 30%. So, sure, 12.5% decline is much better than a 30% decline. But the bottom line is... 
the company is still losing ground to profitability. You factor in that inflation is running at, what, at least 5% over that same period or close to it. So they earn 12.5% less money, and that money is worth about 45 or 5% less than it was last year. It's a downward spiral. You see that in their top-line revenue sales as well. That same article reported that 3M's revenue, that's their sales for the quarter on a year-over-year basis, was down by 4.6%. Now, again, you factor in the fact that inflation is up by, what, 4.5%, So on a real inflation-adjusted basis, 3M sales aren't down like 4.5%. They're down close to 9 or 10%. But again, the stock is up because, hey, they beat expectations. So watch for all that analyst gibberish. And this could be a reckoning period this quarter as well. I have noticed that so far about 20% of companies have reported. And of those, the earnings losses were running as high as on average 9%. So they're down 9% when overall they're expected to be down 7%. Well, wouldn't it be really interesting and a change of pace if for one time earnings were actually worse than anticipated? Yeah, but I wouldn't hold my breath on that, so we'll just have to see what happens. Hey, here's another headline that I want to point out for you. This is from the conference board, and here's the headline. U.S. leading economic indicators declined for 15 straight months. Okay, now this is from the conference board. I don't buy into most of what they pitch, but I do closely follow and pretty much agree with their tracking of leading economic indicators. And if anything, I would say that generally they're too optimistic, but they have been in decline for 15 straight months. They've been pointing to an imminent recession. Now, we haven't received it yet. And again, that's because I think because of the strength of the job market and all that excess money that's still in the system. But listen to this excerpt from the conference board's report from leading economic indicators in the month of June. U.S. leading economic indicators fell again in June fueled by gloomier consumer expectations, weaker new orders, an increased number of initial claims for unemployment, and a reduction in housing construction. The leading index has been in decline for 15 months, the longest streak of consecutive decreases since 2007-2008, which was during the run-up to the Great Recession. Taken together, June's data suggests economic activity will continue to decline in the months ahead. The U.S. economy is likely to be in recession from Q3 2023 to Q1 2024. Well, all that is pretty much in line with my thoughts. I would add the stickiness of inflation and the extreme threat of the geopolitical risk to what they just said, but I think they're pretty much on line with their time frame. If you've been listening to me, you know that I thought that that was going to happen towards the end of the first quarter this year, so March, April this year, I expected we would have seen a recession. That hasn't happened yet, and as I've mentioned in previous episodes and in my blog posts, if it doesn't happen by first quarter of 2024, I believe it has to be postponed. A couple more comments on what's in the headlines. You've noticed over the past week or so that the Russians are again denying grain shipments from Ukraine. That's having an impact on food prices. So, again, with the instability of the geopolitical situation, I think things like food and energy and just general international trade are at risk. 
and all those are having an impact on keeping inflation higher for longer. You combine that with the fact that the dollar's been pulling back some in strength, that means that imports into the U.S. cost more. That would, on a dollar basis, raise inflation in the U.S. And then whether we end up with maybe a much colder, harsher winter in Europe than we had last year, which would cause energy prices to go up at the back half of this year, or maybe it's just another combat boot dropping in this never-ending war in Ukraine where there may be a major attack on energy infrastructure. Remember, it was September of 2022, pretty much at the end of the fighting season for that year, when we saw the Nord Stream pipeline getting blown up. So with a war of attrition that's going on in Ukraine, and every day that that goes on, it just makes it more probable that either side is going to take some drastic measures, which could turn out being a black swan event. It's something we can't predict, but it's something we should be concerned about. Something else that's in the headlines in the last week or two, and it's the fact that China is having to re-stimulate their economy. Their real estate market continues to be in an absolute quagmire. They're not seeing any pent-up consumer demand like was anticipated when they reopened from the COVID lockdowns. And because of the general malaise of the overall global economy, they're not seeing an increase in their exports. So while the U.S. economy looks pretty hot, and we're worried about continued inflation. That's not the case in China, but I don't see that as a good sign. I see that as a negative. And that's also something you should consider when you look back through your trading journal and you remember that in December of 2022, China was talked about of being the hottest market. It was going to be you know, going to the moon in 2023 because the COVID lockdowns were suddenly lifted. And there was going to be all that reopening enthusiasm and pent-up demand. There was a lot of hype and a lot of pumping of Chinese ETFs. And if you look at where they are, but that enthusiasm in Chinese stocks, in particular large Chinese companies, uh, if you compare that to the ETFs, they peaked before the end of January this year. They're down by about 14-15% on average. And I think the more important thing than the short-term performance just over these last six, seven months is to look at the overall trend. That bump up in January for Chinese stocks was less than the run-up that Chinese stocks had in the summer of 2022, and that was less than the overall peak that Chinese stocks had entering into 2022. So bottom line on the Chinese stock market is that for the most part, it peaked in around February or March of 2021. And from that peak in 2021 till now, the large cap Chinese stocks are down in the range of about 45 or more percent. That doesn't bode well for the health of the global economy, and oftentimes the performance of the Chinese stock market is a harbinger for what's going to happen everywhere else in the world. So again, I remain concerned. I think it's likely we're seeing a replay of the pump and dump that played out on Chinese stocks. We're now seeing that with Japanese stocks. If you go back about five weeks ago, prognosticators were really talking up Japanese equities. You know, Warren Buffett was buying into Japanese banks and other companies. And so you've seen a lot of money piling into Japanese stocks over these ensuing weeks. But again, now that the hype is fading, it looks like, uh, from an ETF basis anyways, if you look at the EWJ, that Japanese stock ETF peaked about five weeks ago. 
and the price of the ETF is about comparable to where it was at the beginning of the year in 2018. And if you remember, that's before the Trump trade war got all kicked into gear with China. That had a major pullback on the overall global markets. And so from that perspective or from that vantage point, Japanese stocks are really no better off than they were five years ago. And again, much like China, if you go all the way back, Japanese stocks had peaked in this cycle during the COVID stimulus. And so if you look where Japanese stocks are today on a dollar-adjusted basis using something like EWJ, Japanese stocks, despite the recent run-up, are still down about 16% from where they were in 2021. So those are the things going on in the headlines. And let's close out on two final thoughts. Talked at the beginning about multiple compression versus multiple expansion. Let's just assume that corporate profits don't get any worse. Let's say, just say that they bottomed last quarter. Okay, everything's rosy from here on up. Even if that's true, which I don't think it is, but let's assume that that's true. Remember that this year, all the gains in the stock market have come from expansion of the multiple. So we're at or above 20 times earnings on the S&P 500. If valuations come down at all, any degradation in investor sentiment or in the multiple or the valuation that investors are willing to pay can have a pretty steep and direct impact, can have a pretty steep and direct impact to stock prices. If the multiple just goes down to 19 times, which is still extremely high when you figure that there's not much of a risk premium. I've talked about that in my blog posts and in multiple ep episodes. I'm not going to go into it right now, but you know, at 20 times earnings in the S&P 500, that pretty much comes out to a 5% earnings yield. Well, you can get around 5% just sitting comfortably in a money market fund with no downside risk. So to me, that's one of the reasons that the 20 times multiple doesn't make sense in the current interest rate environment. But getting back to those multiples, if the multiple just goes down to 19, that's 5% off the top of the S&P 500. If it drops down to 18 times earnings, that's 10% off of today's S&P 500. A 17 would put you down 15%, and a 16 times earnings would put you down 20% from today's price, and that would put the S&P 500 at about 36.50, which non-coincidentally is pretty much about where the low was back in October 2022, when we saw a big pullback in the market and the price of the S&P 500 got to those levels precisely because investor sentiment collapsed and the valuation at that time was simply a 16 times earnings. Now, 16 times earnings is not some abstract aberration. There was a time before all the free easy money printing that a 16 multiple was considered the norm. It was, it was the average. We hadn't seen that much in the last 15 to 20 years because, especially when interest rates were at or near zero, but that's because it put such a high multiple on bonds. Well, that differential is gone now. And while I'm not predicting that valuations are going to overnight drop back down to 16 times, what I want to point out is that it wouldn't be an aberration. It wouldn't be unheard of. It wouldn't be impossible. And if that were to occur that simple regression to a long-term mean, then given where today's, what I believe are overestimated earnings are coming in, that would drop the market by 20%.
And if that isn't pessimistic enough, let me follow up with one final thing. I've heard from a lot of people asking me why I'm not jumping in to small cap stocks. You know, I bought a lot of those during the hysteria of COVID. Right now, the valuations in small cap stocks are much more favorable. And so, you know, is there a value play there? Why am I missing it? Why am I not buying small cap stocks right now? Well, here's my concern. If you look at the 2,000 or so stocks that make up the Russell 2000, somewhere around 40% of them are not profitable. And actually, the number is probably significantly higher than that. But that's if you use a gap-type standard of profitability, and pretty much nobody uses that anymore. So if you use non-gap reporting, which is the preferred method to you know balance sheet engineering your profitability, if you use that standard you've got about 40% of small cap stocks not making any money this year and no real road to profitability next year or the year after that. Now, I was fine investing broadly in the S&P 500, specifically in a number of those small cap stocks during the hysteria of the pandemic, but that's because interest rates were near zero and the Federal Reserve implicitly and explicitly came out and said they were not letting anybody fail. They were prepared to do whatever it took to include buying corporate junk bonds. Well, those days have passed, and there's a multitude of zombie companies out there that shouldn't be in business. Just as a side note, and I'm not saying that this is a zombie company, but just to put this into perspective about how stock prices can decline rapidly and not necessarily in the way you would think. Look at a company like Teladoc. Their share price exploded during the pandemic, went up to, I don't know, $300 or so. That was based on a lot of hype and hopium. And so you would have expected the price on that stock to have crashed like it did with other darlings and meme stocks like DocuSign or Zoom. But the interesting thing specifically about Teladoc is that not only did the price totally collapse, and when I say collapse, I mean down like over 90%. So not only did that happen from the peak of the pandemic hysteria, what's interesting, to me anyways, is that Teladoc, a company that you would think would be able to exploit the fact that we are doing more teletype medicine and there's been legislation that promotes more of that and reimbursement by the insurance companies and a general acceptance by patients to do more teletype medicine. I think a rational person could think that a stock like Teladoc would have you know, somewhat of a bright future. But if you look at the price of Teladoc right now, not only is it down more than 90% from the hype of the 2021 peak, but it's down more than 70% from its peak in 2018. That's what I mean when I talk about zombie companies. And again, I'm not picking on Teladoc. I am not making any value calls or judgments on where the price of that stock is headed. I'm simply pointing out that these companies, especially those that are not profitable, that their future is based on a lot of hopium, their prices can collapse and not only collapse, but never recover. That concerns me specifically with small companies in the Russell 2000 when we know that at least 40% of them are not profitable. And they were allowed to exist over the last 15 to 20 years because of the largesse of Federal Reserve policy. But it looks like the era of zero interest rates and ultra-cheap money is over. 
Now, we won't know that for sure. Again, we want to see what they say this week with the FOMC meeting. We want to see what they say next month at Jackson Hole. And then we obviously want to watch what they do. But again, for me and my money right now, giving all the issues, I am remaining very comfortably in money market funds. And I want to see how things play out, especially now that we're entering into the third quarter. If you remember, I mentioned that the conference board is predicting a likely recession to occur between now and first quarter of 2024. I think that's highly likely. And as you've heard me say in the past, if we don't get a recession by first quarter of 2024, I think it's going to be postponed. You can check out my blog post at investablewealth.com to where I talked about that and showed some charts about raising interest rates and having recessions during a presidential election campaign. Well, 2024 is a presidential election cycle, and I don't know about you, but if I were President Biden, well, between April and November of 2024, I would be doing everything politically possible to stimulate the economy so that I got reelected. Hey, will that happen? I have no idea. I don't know what Fed policy is going to end up being, but let's come back for future episodes of the Wellsteading Podcast and talk about it. Until then, as always, this is John Pugliano wishing you the very best returns.